How can pornography impact you, your loved ones, and the world around you? Discover the answer for yourself in our free three-part documentary series, Brain Heart World. In three 30-minute episodes, this docuseries dives into how pornography impacts individuals, relationships, and society. With witty narration and colorful animation, this age-appropriate series shines a hopeful light on this heavy topic. In each episode, you'll hear from experts who share research on porn's harms, as well as true stories from people who have been impacted personally by pornography. Stream the full series for free, or purchase an affordable screening license at brainheartworld.org. My healing looks like sometimes just playing and letting go. My healing looks like sometimes doing really uncomfortable research um, and learning about the brain and learning that um, pornography is a drug and can hijack the brain and make some really good people do some really crummy, terrible things, or at least look at some really crummy, terrible things. Um, and for me, there are days where it's still hard to get out of bed. The, the pain and the shame are so great. My name is Garrett Johnson, and you're listening to Consider Before Consuming, a podcast by Fight the New Drug. And in case you're new here, Fight the New Drug is a non-religious and non-legislative organization that exists to provide individuals the opportunity to make an informed decision regarding pornography by raising awareness on its harmful effects using only science, facts, and personal accounts. As we sit down with experts, influencers, activists, and people with personal accounts, we cover a wide variety of topics that may be triggering to some. You can refer to the episode notes for a specific trigger warning. Listener discretion is advised. Today's episode is with Maddie Corman. She started her career as a child actress in the 1980s, and she's now appeared in over 25 films. About five years ago, Maddie experienced an earth-shaking moment when her husband was arrested for possession of child pornography. During this conversation, we talk about her betrayal trauma, her shame, and what she's doing to promote love, healing, and hope. With all that being said, let's just jump into the conversation. We hope you enjoy this episode of Consider Before Consuming. Hello. How are you, Maddie? doing great oh this is so cool i love technology <laughs> for sure it is nice to Do have I sound okay yeah it sounds like you have it all set up is all right look at me yeah look at you because oftentimes i have to go through and help people set up but it sounds like you've uh, done an yeah. interview or two or been on television a little bit or something yeah plus i have three teenagers so oh, okay that helps. <laughs> <laughs> they're yes. they're your tech all crew <laughs> yes cool that's awesome. Well, I'm glad you got it all set up. Any questions for me before we get started? No, I'm uh, I'm nervous and excited and ready. Yeah. You know, I kind of feel the same way because I know how big of a thing it is for, for you and your family. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. One thing before we jump into like the questions regarding your experience in your play, I saw on your social media, on your Instagram, that uh, you recently picture or posted a picture of a tree that had fallen on top of a car. <laughs> yes. And so I just wanted to know if that was on set or no. was that real life? 
No, that's real life in 2020. It's just the gift that keeps on giving. We had a really big storm here in New York and um, I'm in the city and everyone in the suburbs lost power and I thought, look how smart we are being in the city. And then I went out to take a look at our car and a tree had fallen and smashed the oh, roof no. of the car. It's And then that I think the photo I posted was two of my three children uh, sitting on the tree on top of the car. They thought it was hilarious. Um, the tree <laughs> has been removed and the car is driving. So okay. miracles happen. Yeah. And thank goodness for insurance Yeah, in a situation like that. Yeah. You know, I've been through some things. So a tree on a car is uh, not the worst of what's I can I can manage that <laughs> for sure um, well like I said Maddie we are grateful that you're joining us today and I also mentioned that I've listened to your play three times um, I've listened to it on audible and each time that I listen to it I honestly feel like I'm living the experience a little bit which is kind of emotionally draining to be honest but also at the same time yeah. inspiring well, good. <laughs> I mean, when I was doing it live eight times a week, uh, people would say, how are you doing that every day, twice a day, some days? And I said, well, I lived it. This is not anywhere near as hard as actually living it. And uh, in some ways, it was um, less lonely as well. So, oh, wow. But it was, it was also draining, and I'm really... I'm really proud that and happy with the way the Audible came out that it hopefully shares that experience. Yeah, I think it does. Um, this is your chance to kind of give us a 30-second summary before we jump into oh your experience and your play. Can you give us like a 30-second elevator pitch about Accidentally Brave? You know, I have a friend who's a playwright, and he says, if I could have wrapped it up in 30 seconds, I wouldn't have written the, you know, 90-page play. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not great at that, but it is my story of what happened to me within my family about five years ago. My husband was arrested um, on child pornography charges, and it really um, was devastating and shocking and uh, completely out of the blue to me and to our three kids. And um, it's really the story, I try to focus on myself. I'm already messing up the 30 second pitch, but I, <laughs> I try to focus on my story and not um, and tell how it affected me within a marriage and um, being a mother and being a human being. Um, and it really does focus on the early days of trauma, but up until the point where, believe it or not, I start to see some light and some gifts. And spoiler alert, I am with my husband. We are together. Um, and that is part of the play as well, part of the story. And it's called Accidentally Brave because um, I don't... <laughs> I really don't see myself as a brave person. I hate roller coasters. I um, don't like horror movies. I'm really happy to be home watching other people do things. Um, and 
a lot of people have called me brave these last couple years, but I really had no choice. Also, um, because my husband and I um, are in television, film, theater, um, our story was very public very quickly. So again, some people say I'm brave because I talk about it, but it was already in the paper, um, in every social media. It was everywhere within 24 hours. So, um, so that's that's a really sloppy, messy <laughs> description. But that's me. I try to tell the truth, mess and all. I like that. And I like that early on in your play, you mentioned that boundary of speaking for your experience. You don't really talk to um, the experience that your husband had or those details or regarding your children, just about your experience. And so I like yeah. that approach. Um, I think one of the things that was interesting to me as we started, as I started listening to your play was, and I quote, one of the very first things you say in your play it says, if I tell the truth, you might not like me, and I really, really want you to like me. So I wanted to ask you, why did you decide to lean into that discomfort um, and be open about your experience? Well, um, this whole experience has really brought me to my knees, um, metaphorically and literally. Um, I can't control this narrative, um, it, and if there has been any lesson for me it has been I have to uh, stop I, I can't make everyone like me anyway but in this case I really really can't and I've had to get really small do my homework do my research make sure my family is safe um, and stop worrying so much about what other people think and it's been a really interesting thing because um, in sharing my story and sharing my feelings and sharing uh, the mess of it all and um, learning about pornography addiction, sex addiction. Um, I have actually, a lot of people, a lot of people ask me, have you lost friends? And the answer is yes. But what people don't usually ask me is have you gained friends? And the answer is yes, absolutely. And the friends and family that have been incredibly supportive, it feels like a very authentic friendship and love when people know everything about you. Um, I've also gotten to see that with my husband. Um, so I've leaned in only because I had no other choice, but I'm glad that I have. And, you know, sex addiction and porn addiction and all of it and I say that you know I want to just be really clear right up front I understand that illegal pornography is different I understand that there are absolutely victims I understand that child pornography is a terrible terrible thing and no one in my family thinks anything other than that um, I just want to be really clear right that being said as I <laughs> learned my husband's very secret porn addiction was a porn addiction um, that went in a very dark way. Um, but I, I think that even if we weren't talking about the illegal part, the underage girls, 
people have so much trouble talking about pornography alone. I mean, even if I, I go to, I get a lot of help. Um, I hope I give some help, but I also receive a lot of help. I, um, and I speak to a lot of men and women and the shame that goes along with talking about this, whether there was anything illegal going on or not, is, it's enormous and it's crippling. And so when this happened, I didn't hear anyone else who had gone through this and it felt already terrible, but it felt even more terrible to experience this alone. Um, I didn't see any books. I didn't have any uh, friends. Now, P.S., it turns out I have had friends who have gone through things like this. It's just nobody talks about it. And once you share your secrets, it's amazing how many other people start sharing theirs. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. I've heard it said before that each of us have these chapters in our lives that we don't want to read aloud. Yeah. Right? I haven't heard that. I like that. And I think that you're an example where you had to read it aloud. Mm -hmm. You were kind of forced to because of your, um, because you both are public figures and well-known. So, um, well, has it been therapeutic for you? You have helped a lot of people. Um, but has, you said you were doing this eight times a week, you were doing the play. I was, um, yeah, you know, more exhausting than doing the play was meeting people in the lobby after, which I did every night and the plays one act. And I kind of think of that as the second act. Um, and I think it was, and is really important. Um, so that was exhausting, but in the best kind of way. Um, someone said to me the other day, because I'm going to God willing, when, um, when things clear up COVID wise, I will do the play again. And we're talking about filming it and we're talking about, um, kind of exploring different ways to tell the same story, maybe on TV and a, a really good friend who loves my family said to me, maybe it's time to stop. I mean, do you really just want to live in this moment? And maybe it's hard on your kids. And do you really want to think about this every day? And um, of course, I was like, oh, my God, she thinks I'm a terrible person. And maybe I I (laughs) rethought everything that I thought I knew, because I hate when people point out that maybe I'm doing something wrong. But then I took a breath and I also talked to some other people who've been through some things like this. There is not a day that goes by that I don't think about this. Right. There's not. So whether I'm doing a play, whether I'm writing about it, whether I'm doing a podcast, whether I'm just sitting at my kid's soccer game, it's in my life. And for better or for worse, I I don't want to say I enjoy it, but it feels um, purposeful and useful and good to um, to say it out loud, and um, and things are different than they were five years ago. And I'm sure I did the play, I wrote the play at a certain time, I performed it at a certain time, and if I do it again or somebody else does it, it will be a different time in my own healing. But those early days and that trauma 
doesn't go away, it just um, changes. I don't know if that answered your yes. question. But. Yes, absolutely. You mentioned that it's part of your own healing. Yeah. Um, and I want to give you a chance to explain to our audience how you're doing now. Um, I loved, one of the things I loved about your play right off the bat is you talked about how you're not okay. Yeah. Can you talk to that a little bit? Because I think we're all in a similar position, right? I say this is not one of those shows where I talk about how I was okay, but then I wasn't okay, but now I'm okay. Um, I'm not. I'm not okay. I I like to say I'm okay-ish, and I have really good days, and I have really crummy days, and sometimes they're the same day. Um, Yeah, I, I think that, and I love what you're doing. I love your show. I love your whole mission. Um, And I think that there's a whole group of people who are really struggling um, silently and valiantly. And those are partners of sex addicts, partners of porn addicts. And um, they're men and women who are amazing. Um, I am in awe of people that I speak with sometimes daily, sometimes weekly, sometimes a couple times a day, and seeing what these people do on behalf of their children and their partners and themselves. Um, For me, I would say that my healing goes uh, in waves, and sometimes it goes backwards. Um, Progress, not perfection. I have to work really, really hard um personally i'm really down with people who don't or who find something that works early on i tried everything and anything to stop the excruciating pain that i was in and what i found works for me our meetings um i know we don't talk about it a lot because 12 step is anonymous but i'm barely anonymous so i'm gonna say <laughs> i go to um s anon meetings um i go to al-anon i um I am in a group, a a group run by a CSAT, a therapist who specializes in sex addiction for partners of sex addicts. Um, I, my husband um, is in recovery. He goes to, during this time, maybe six or seven meetings a week, and this is five years in. Um, That's an important part of my healing is that I choose to be with someone who embraces recovery. Um, I'm not a martyr. I don't have any interest in saying no matter what, here I am. Um, My healing looks like sometimes just playing and letting go. My healing looks like sometimes doing really uncomfortable research um, and learning about the brain and learning that um, pornography is a drug and can hijack the brain and make some really good people do some really crummy, terrible things, or at least look at some really crummy, terrible things. Um, And for me, there are days where it's still hard to get out of bed. The, The pain and the shame are so great. But, and I have a family that is 
<laughs> intact and uh, not that I judge anybody for leaving staying together you know um, at all this is just my story right and um, we have had some really great days we have some really difficult conversations and we have some really awesome conversations and I would not wish what happened to me or my family on anyone but we definitely have a level of honesty in our family that was not there a level of spirituality that I treasure and um, and I have kids that are thriving except for days where they're not <laughs> for sure that's a beautiful thing one of my favorite sayings and I actually have it tattooed on my body and it's that moments of bliss are not free mm. and I think yeah. that your story is a good example of that yeah and all I, of our stories, really. That. Yeah, for me, I mean, I definitely uh, feel like my heart got cracked open and some light crept in. Um, it's, it's, it's so different for everyone. But um, I was in a, a group the other day, you know, on Zoom, and um, it was a parent talk and one of the dads a bunch of people I knew a bunch of people I didn't know and this was not um, anything to do with pornography um, or my story it was just a, a meeting um, something to do with my kids and um, a dad unmuted himself and said you know I just were talking about marijuana and said you know I have four years clean and sober and everyone kind of clapped their hands and I wondered to myself, I did not say this aloud in this particular meeting, what it would be like if um, if my husband unmuted and said, I'm five years um, clean and sober from my sex and porn addiction. And um, I don't know what would, my, my gut would say, oh God, it would stop the meeting cold and people would be uncomfortable and start Googling and um, us and, uh, Another part of me would like to think that maybe people would go, oh, good for you. You know, I, I really think that we need to start talking about it more. And um, I told my kids that I was going on this podcast um, and their reactions are always interesting to me. They're like, don't say our names. Um, yeah. <laughs> I said, listen, if any of your friends are listening to fight the new drug, then good for them. And you <laughs> want their, and, and, um, and I said, I said, you know, what is it that I, I think, you know, teenagers tend to think anything their parents do is annoying. But <laughs> I don't want to I don't want to bring shame to my kids. I don't want to hurt them, right. of course. So that is I do struggle with that, not with this podcast, but in general, telling the story and and causing them any kind of pain. Right. But I also think that one of the things they feel is shame and I think that telling our stories can blow up shame and can make it better for the next kid who's involved in something like this or struggling themselves because I know from all the work I've done and doctors I've seen that younger and younger kids are struggling with pornography addiction and it's affecting um, our entire culture. I think for my kids, especially maybe my sons right now, um, 
it's not so much that they're ashamed of their dad and that story because they love their dad and they know that story and there's no secrets, but I think they're like, now do you have to be the person who tells people not to look at pornography? God, mom, you know, stop. Um, although they didn't say that, they just kind of rolled their eyes and walked away. So I make right. up, that's what they're thinking. But I think, um, we do talk about it in our family and we talk about it the way some other people might talk about drugs and alcohol. Um, and in a way that I never would have talked about five years ago because I honestly was oblivious. It wasn't that I was embarrassed. It was that I was completely oblivious. Yeah. Some, on my bad days, I would just say I was an idiot. But right now I'll say I was oblivious. Yeah, I think that's a healthy way to put it. Um, well, a couple things, Maddie. I just want to say how much I admire you and your family. Um, I... I love the title, Accidentally Brave, because it's so fitting. And I also think that you are intentionally brave. Um, I saw a cool thing the other day that someone on my social media feed, he got his first tattoo, and it said, We are the they. And the meaning behind that, we are the they, is that he's a person who is engaged in fighting sex trafficking, and his family, his his uh, his partner, was saying, "Well, do we should we really go into this? Like, do, are we sure we want to be the ones fighting this? They can take care of it." And his answer was like, "We are the they," and um, I think that um, if at any time you decide you don't want to publish this episode, just let us know, and we will not publish it because we want what is best for you and your family. Um, and if you guys decide that it's what you want to publish, then we, we love that as well. So, um, I, I want to say thank you, first of all, and you've been incredibly respectful and kind and I appreciate it. When I hear we are the they, what it says to me is it reminds me of why I tell the story and why I actually did include some, not in the audible version, but in the stage version, I did include some family photos my family is not other i mean we are and we're not we are the they you know i when you picture the person that this happens to the image is not my husband and me and that's why i like telling the story because when you just read a headline you go well i probably was one of the people who made giant assumptions about a person a marriage a family and that's dangerous and it's dangerous in many ways of course selfishly it's dangerous for me and i want you to know that my husband is awesome and funny and a feminist and a good dad and all those things and sometimes a jerk you know all of those <laughs> we're things. all human yeah exactly he's a human being and his addiction did start to show not in any kind of sexual way but in irritability and depression um, but, but really, why another reason I want to tell the story is not just so you go, oh, look, I like him, I like her. No, it's that it's, we're you. It's not that different. And this is, you know, um, addiction hits families all over. And porn addiction 
is something that is lurking. I mean, it's free, it's easily accessible, and you can get it, yeah, I mean, you can get it on your phone, and you can look at it anonymously without anybody knowing. I mean, or <laughs> you think nobody's knowing, and it doesn't cost anything to look at some really dark things. So I just think that telling the story helps people, I hope it helps in a lot of ways, because again, if there's also, I know now spending a lot of time talking to my own husband, and believe me, there have been nights in the middle of the night where I wake up and go, why didn't you just tell me? Why didn't you just tell me that you needed help, that you had a problem, that this was happening? And you know, the deep, deep shame and the deep fear are so real for so many men. And maybe also by sharing this, again, like I'm not some stand by your man, you know, little lady. I'm a real full, flawed, awesome person as well. And maybe knowing that a family can get through this might help someone come out as it were and share their story and go get help before the police show up at your door and traumatize your kids before you start looking at something that goes against every moral that you have that you know every core belief but somehow what you were looking at wasn't enough and um so I do hope because I do go, my God, we are not super religious. We are not, um, we are people who I thought could talk about certain things. And my husband felt he could not talk about this. Um, and again, I'm not even talking about the illegal part. I'm talking about even saying, I'm watching a lot of pornography. I don't like it. I'm struggling. Um, it was a really big secret and um, secrets make us sick and they make a whole family sick. You know, it really infiltrated our family um, dynamic, our, our marriage dynamic, our family dynamic. And, um, and yet we had, we looked pretty good from the outside and we were pretty good in a lot of ways. So I guess that's the, we are the they <laughs> that I'm talking about. And it's easy to dismiss stories that are sensational and go that I would never. And even when I have done certain interviews, um, I've had, you know, I went on The View and, you know, it wasn't easy to hear Meghan McCain say, well, I would never stay with that person. Right. You know, and um, maybe she wouldn't but walk a mile in my shoes and I want to tell you the whole story, not just the sensational story and not just the worst thing my husband ever looked at, but I want to tell you about a family, about a man and a woman and three kids and a life. I think it's important and, um, and that doesn't mean that it's perfect or easy now or that there's not a lot of consequences now that we deal with, but we're still a family struggling and figuring it out and then struggling again. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think we'll ever know, um, 
the scope of someone's trauma because we just aren't to them. Uh, And I also don't think we'll ever know the scope of someone's betrayal trauma. No. Right? So it's like we don't know the scope of your husband's experience and his shame and his past traumas and all that. We don't know the scope that of the betrayal trauma that you experienced. Yeah, and and thank you, by the way, for saying that. Um, betrayal trauma is real, <laughs> and I, I experience it personally, and I also witness, bear witness to people who I've come to know and, and deeply love. And, um, and it's unique. Um, you know, there's a part of me that always wants to say, well, our story is, you know, addiction is like cancer, and sex addiction and porn addiction is like alcoholism, or heroin addiction but everything has its that's a a silly game for me but the thing about um my story is that there is betrayal trauma and it is a real thing and there is some real um ptsd involved and you know i got a lot of really negative feedback online and other people saying you know what about the children that are abused and of course of course they have trauma and I I weep my heart breaks I pray I give money um, I do whatever I can for those victims yeah and that does not take away that partners also have trauma and betrayal trauma and it's a real thing and um, and it comes up and it comes up whether you leave your marriage it comes up whether you stay it comes up whether you do a lot of work um, or no work, and and it is there's it's just a population that is under <laughs> underserved. You know, I had people come to see my little show at a beautiful small off Broadway theater. People flew from different countries. People wrote me who didn't get to come from Australia. I mean. There are people who are in so much pain and they're so lonely. And um, and so sometimes the only person that they can talk to about the betrayal trauma is the person who betrayed them, which I know is a tough uh, is a tough thing. And and it's it's real and it's there. And by the way, I'm here to say five years in, it's so much better and it doesn't go away. And I sometimes feel some shame that I'm not, quote unquote, further along. But, you know, I'm doing the best I can. And I stand in awe of partners who who have been all kinds of, uh, there's all kinds of betrayal. Um, but I think with pornography also, and I know that's somewhat the, the focus of your show and your mission and some people it's um it's either thought of if you cross the line then it's you know unforgivable but if you don't cross that line it can be almost a joke and it's not a joke and it there are um marriages that really get destroyed because of it and and it's not funny and it's not nothing and it's not well everybody does it i i've seen the scars and um and i really appreciate you know it sounds like a funny thing to say but i appreciate someone recognizing that and saying 
that even the, even the fact that it's a betrayal, um, you know, some people would say, well, he never touched anyone, um, and that's that's true. But that doesn't mean there's not betrayal, and that doesn't mean it didn't feel like there was a third party. And a lot of women I know whose husbands struggle with pornography um, have felt like there's another person in the relationship, even though it's not a person. There's another thing, and there it, it interferes with that intimacy. Um, and if it's not talked about and it's secret, it can start to make you feel a little bananas. Right. Because you're introducing deceit into the relationship, huh? Right. I mean, for, again, I know I get a little global, but to talk back to my experience, um, I would say to my husband, you know, are, are you having an affair? Are you not attracted to me? What's going on? Because I felt something. When I say I was oblivious, I didn't know. I really didn't know. But looking back in the flashbacks that go through my mind, oh, why didn't I? I mean, it's so clear to me now, but it never occurred to me to ask about my husband's relationship with pornography. Um, I, I asked if he was having an affair, and he looked me in the eye and said, I am not, which was true. Um, but there was something, there was something, and I couldn't grasp it. So I did start to feel a little bit crazy, and that's gaslighting. Um, but that, um, now that I am with someone who is present, I can see what I was missing. But it, it sneaks in, it's slow. And, um, and so even though I call myself an idiot, I know I'm not an idiot, and I know that other partners are not. And I know that my husband didn't want me to see you know he didn't want me to feel feel betrayed nope I don't think any any of the people I know ever wanted to cause pain to their families or to anyone um, and that's one of the saddest things about having to build this back build our family back is there's so much pain and neither my husband nor I ever our our one gig was to take care of these kids like that was the deal and I I feel like um, that's my deep pain um, when I feel like I blew that sometimes I think that your experience can help your kids be better off I I hope so <laughs> I, I mean I, I definitely think that my kids have an understanding of um, they've seen a person they love and admire very much fall down and get back up. They've seen um, recovery. Um, they've seen friends stand by uh, a family in trouble. They've seen their parents now reaching out to try to do service and make something out of an experience that was not so great so um, I hope so and I and I do think I mean you know again questions I get asked I, I I love being asked you know how how has this helped your kids versus like are your you know how messed up are your kids um, and I do see my kids as being incredibly resilient and knowledgeable my, my uh, 
I don't think she'll, well, I think she'd be okay with me telling the story, but my daughter went and saw a doctor um, and she's, um, she's over 18 now. So she went in without me and she came out and said, I didn't like that doctor. And I said, um, why not? And she said, well, she asked me some questions, family background, and did I have any mental illness or addiction in my family? And I said, yes. And she said, which? And she said, um, I have addiction. And she said, okay, uh, a parent? And she said, yes. Um, and she said, alcoholism, drug addiction. She said, um, sex addiction. And my daughter said, sex addiction. And my daughter said, the doctor looked at her and almost kind of gasped and, um, and my daughter didn't like that. And I, on the other hand, was beaming going, wow, good for you. Like this is <laughs> how is, yeah. the world moves forward is that we stop not talking about it. And I would never force my kids to talk about something, but I hope and believe that people will reach out to them because people know our story and for better or for worse, I do think that's how healing and change happens. Right. And and again, so that the ultimately none of us want there to be sex trafficking or any kind of child pornography or children being exploited. But if we just say that person who did that is bad, we're putting we're never talking about it, I, I don't think that will change or go away. Right. Yeah, if you we've talked a little bit about AA and that 12th step is to help someone else, right? Well, that is what I considered the play is kind of my 12th yeah, step. That's exactly what I was just going to say. <laughs> yeah, I think you it's a beautiful it. thing. And I think that um, your your kids are, you in your play, you talk about an angel. Yes. And I think that you, if I'm remembering correctly, you talk about... Really, there was probably several angels, quote unquote, in your life, right? Absolutely. Um, but one in particular really helped you. And I think that your kids can be an angel for someone else, right? Someday. I, I, I absolutely. Or maybe it's already happening. I hope so. I really do. And it doesn't have to be loud, it can be quiet. Um, but yes, and my angel, the, certainly I have many angels, but the one that I refer to who kind of came into my life, by the way, only because my story was in the New York Post, a sensational, um, horrific headline, and she saw the humanity behind that and um, through her own experience, found me and reached out and yes, did one of the first things she said to me was, your kids will be okay. And that was the kindest gesture um, and sentence I have ever received. And at some point I did say to her, how can I ever repay you? And she happens to be um, very successful. Um, so she doesn't really need anything. I, I mean, I can't really buy her a sweater that would you right. know, <laughs> make, a, there, there's no gesture anyway that I could do. Um, there's no gift I could give, but I said, how can I ever repay you? And, and she said, just do it for somebody else. I don't think she meant for me to write this, but <laughs> she uh, she has seen the show and um, and she's she's proud of me and and that is my way of saying because I, I would not I I don't know that I would be uh, sitting here 
speaking to you and not in a ball on the floor. I really don't know that, that if somebody hadn't reached out who had a little bit, her story is different from mine, but similar enough that she was able to say, I see you, it's going to be okay. And I, and I believed her. And even the times I didn't believe her, she had it, she held it for me. You know, when I had no hope, she held on to that hope. And I, and she let me borrow hers. And, um, and that is really necessary in, in this world, even just that when you're really down and really scared that someone is kind enough to reach out and say, and she did share her story with me and it was really helpful, really, really helpful. Yeah. Life-saving. Yeah. You mentioned briefly that, um, you couldn't buy her a sweater or she doesn't need anything, I think is what you said. And I think that the reality is, is that the real thing that she needs is that connection, right? Yeah. And, um, so that, that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And she's become a really, um, you know, it's so nice to sometimes take a walk with her and talk about, um, I don't know, talk about baseball, you know, to talk about <laughs> For something sure. that is, has nothing to do with this. It's like a miracle. I never, ever thought that I would be able to, to, to have that and to have some, some delight in my life. I also felt like, and I still feel a little bit like when I talk about it, like, am I allowed to, you know, am I allowed to have that? Um, am I supposed to be the one? And, um, and I think it's, I'm becoming more comfortable talking about that part too, that, um, that we do have some delightful yes, days. Absolutely. And, and I, love and that. I really thought that was done. I thought maybe my kids will be okay. Um, uh, you know, when my husband did not go to jail, I thought, okay, well, there's that. But I never, ever in those early days thought we will sing together, we will laugh together, we will be silly together, we will have family dinners together. And um, we are. <laughs> wow, I love days. it. So. Honestly, Maddie, my my heart right now is full of joy, which is kind my of weird. It's full of fear. Like when I is say it? that, I'm like, oh, yeah. Okay. Like even, I just want to be clear that even when I say that, I'm like, oh, not only so I'm kind of a fraud that I say I don't care what other people. I still care what other people think. I'm <laughs> we like, all oh, do. People are gonna. So, but I'm glad that I feel. No, with some joy. yeah, I do. It fills me with joy and hope because it's just a beautiful thing. And I think in your play, at one point, you talk about your last Halloween, right? And so I don't know if you guys are, I don't know what the situation is with that particular holiday, but I just think it's a beautiful thing that you and your family are able to connect and have these very cool and, and special experiences. Um, and you've worked through so much. Like you've put all of your family members, you included, have put in the work. So, I mean, just to be clear, yes, and thank you. And we have. And then there are days where if, my husband forget this is somebody else's story but it applies to me because I have a friend who the other day her husband forgot to bring the blueberries you know she wrote a list and it was like it was like we were back to day one she was back to day one and I really feel that like in my family like we're having these great moments we're you know honest and we're 
we're here and we're we're progressing and and then you know my husband will bring home the wrong olive oil and it is like <laughs> there's something that snaps in me uh, so oh, I, I, there's and i can see the humor in that and i can see the that there's still work to do right. and yeah it's you know my husband's on probation and that so his his behavior his porn addiction is not just his own um to to deal with and to recover from like the consequences affect where my family lives and what we do and i try to keep it away from my kids but it does affect i mean there are just there are just restrictions that we live with but that's part of the choices that i made and um and so i try not to be too punishing um to him with that and some days <laughs> some days i am some days i'm not but <laughs> yeah it's um it's um we have a real family with with all of um and and that's the other thing that i think when i hear you talk about and ask the questions there's nuance you know it's not black or white and um and i when when i discovered this along with the whole world discovering it I, it just felt really black and um and now there's definitely a lot of gray and what you were saying about my kids before is i think that they are people who see the gray and when they hear someone being maligned or somebody i think they just see that humans are complicated people and i hope that that translates to other areas of their life i think it does i mean they're very um, compassionate people. They're also hilarious, which helps. Hmm. Um, <laughs> it helps to get through some for times. Sure. And that was, that was a big moment for my family when I think when we started laughing again. There are certain things that are not funny, but when you're in, when you're in the gallows uh, together, when you're in the darkness together, sometimes you need some laughter. And 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 it's really hard for me when people look at me with scorn, but also with pity, um, partly because I like to be funny and light, and that feels like there's not room for that in in certain worlds. So hopefully, if you listen to my show, there's actually some funny. Like people are like, it's very serious, but it's funny because there's some absurd things that are just funny right and they say that time or stress plus time equals comedy and yeah. then if you look back to the the tree falling on your car yeah. I'm, per, I'm i'm sure that your first thought was not to laugh but now no. with your kids on top of it taking pictures and posting it to social you can kind of laugh about it yeah so well i wanted to say um that you're honestly you're one of my many heroes i look up to you I definitely, once the COVID thing is over, I would love to come see your show at some point with my wife. That would be I really would cool. Would um, we would love to, to make that happen at some point if possible. And I have loved this conversation. I wanted to get your opinion if okay. we should jump into more questions regarding your play um, and your experiences or would you rather end the conversation and encourage people to go 
listen on Audible? Um, <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, I'm going to defer to you. I'm a pretty decisive person about certain things, but I'm down to talk more, and I'd love people to download it and listen to it. Or you can read it. You can order it on, um, I think it's called DPS is the publishing. Yes, DPS, if you wanted to order the actual uh, printed version of the play. But I'm happy to answer more questions, too. Um, it feels really good to talk to someone who understands and um, it's why I it's why I wrote the play and when I wrote it I didn't know why I was writing it but I kind of not kind of I had to I, I didn't know if I'd ever perform it but I did feel um, truly that something higher than me was moving the pen um, so so I'm happy to have an opportunity to talk about it yeah um i don't like that you deferred it to me i wish that you were the <laughs> one to decide let's let's go another 10 minutes okay let's do it um one of the most powerful moments in your play for me when i felt like i was living this experience was when you got the phone call from yeah. your kid yeah um can you talk about that event, what yeah. you were doing and what happened? Yeah, that was actually, in terms of the play, it was the hardest um, thing to rehearse. It was the hardest part for me to learn, I think, because it was the hardest moment of my life. Um, but for some reason, I felt like it was important to put there because there are times in certain people's lives where one moment changes everything. Um, and I was driving to work, I'm an actress, and I was doing a guest spot on a, I say a semi-terrible TV show. Um, I had a couple days left of work. It was really early, um, which for anyone who has kids knows there was actually kind of a delightful thing because I was the one that was leaving first for work, so I didn't have, and I was leaving so early that I didn't have to get anyone breakfast or um, walk the dog or anything. I was like <laughs> the five, I think it was like the 4 a.m. leave. Um, and I was in my car. Um, my boys, I have twin boys and a daughter. They, the boys were 11. My daughter was 16 at the time. They were all asleep. It was summer. And um, my phone rang. And it was, you know, I have caller ID. And it said my daughter's name. And I knew something was up because it was five or something. It was way too early for her to be awake um, normally. But I still, of course, didn't think. And then I picked up the phone and it was just a piercing scream. And I think any mother knows, I mean, I've my daughter is um, was a 16-year-old. I'd certainly heard her upset many times through the 16 years of parenting her. But I knew immediately that something was really wrong, that this was not um, a dramatic teenager, that this was not, that I had never ever heard my daughters scream like that. My daughter apostrophe S, not that I have daughters. And, um, and the next few minutes were just, um, if I were to film them rather than perform them that way, it would be like I was just underwater, like everything was just, I, I, even saying it now, 
my stomach is tightening, my chest is tightening, my head is throbbing. It was, I, I was trying to put it together while driving, while hearing, and then I, I hung up with my daughter and called my husband and the police were there. I, I could not understand why the police were in my house. Um, no one could really explain it to me. By the grace of God, my brother, who I'm very close with and who adores my children and my children adore him, and, um, he was staying two houses from us and he was able to come and get my kids. But anyway, that was that was the moment. And to be honest, I still didn't quite understand what was happening even as I was calling uh, my dad to ask him to come over and take my husband to see a lawyer. I, it was still like, what? Is this a mistake? Is this, and until later that day, I actually went to work and I did film my scenes. I, I don't remember. Um, there is a story that I didn't tell in the show because I didn't know it when I was doing the show. Um, the New York Times did an article about it and um, and the guy who was the assistant director of this particular television show who I've worked with a bunch and my husband is a TV producer and director or he was he hasn't actually worked um, in that field since um, but he um, this AD also knows my husband very well because my husband worked a lot and um, and he's known me for many years because I've worked on and off for many, many years. And he said, it was interesting because when he read the story in the Times, he said, I was the AD on that semi-terrible show and I pulled into the parking lot right before you did. And he said, you didn't see me, but I saw your car pull in and I saw you sit in your car, put your head down and sob and then I saw you lift up your head, take a breath, and get out of the car. And I had already called him and said, I'm having a family emergency. Could I possibly um, get off work early? Yeah. And he said, when I saw you, I didn't know what had happened, but I knew something. And I saw this person, <laughs> you know, I was a kid actress, like, you keep going and you do your job. I still don't know almost why or how I did that, but... Um, and I'm sure some people will judge me for that, but I, 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 the end of this long story is that until my husband got into my car a few hours after that, I really didn't think this could be true. And it, I still didn't, you know, listen, there are some days I wake up and I still go, wait, what? Right. So, um, but that moment in the car, my, my, um, my whole life changed. And some would say my whole life was ruined, but I don't see it that way anymore. I, uh, I don't talk about this in the show either, but like I've gone back to work, um, not just, you know, on the play, but I, I've done television jobs. And when I see someone on a set who was on the set that day, um, I still have a certain feeling and um, less so but initially it was a real like you talk about betrayal trauma that was just fear and, and terror and 
oh my God, am I going to talk about it? Am I going to think about it? And then um, <laughs> I did one job. I've never told this story, but I did do a job on a TV show. And, um, you know, a lot of people I would work with were knew my husband and so therefore knew the story. And I was kind of angry, not kind of. I was very angry because I was like, I don't even get to go to work and forget about this. You know, it's, it's every, it just, it's everywhere. It's on me. And I just want to go and forget, you know, part of the fun of being an actress is you get to go pretend to be somebody else. And I just felt very heavy when people would say, how are you? And they'd look at my ring finger to see if I was wearing, and, and they wouldn't ask about Jace. I said my husband's name, but that's okay. They wouldn't ask about him which felt worse than if they did ask about him, but that also felt bad. I've right. come a long way. I mean, now I actually lead with, if someone says, how are you? I say, I'm doing pretty well, and, and my husband's great, and the kids are great. You know, I give them permission. Because Good. we were, everybody was tiptoeing around. But I did this one show, a guest spot, and um, an actor that I, I didn't know before um, was talking to me and said, I don't know, we had a friend in common he was talking about an actor, and I said, oh, I love that guy. I worked with him on a show, um, and I said the name of a show that actually my husband had directed, and he goes, oh, I know that show. Did you hear about what happened to that guy, that, that producer-director? And I said, yes. And he goes, God, can you believe it? What, an, what a creep, or whatever he said. And I, I had this moment of going, all right, you can just go into your dressing room now, and or you can. And I said, "That's my husband," and it was. I am a person who actually is a pretty um, nice person, so I actually felt bad that I had made this actor uncomfortable. But he said, "Oh wow, oh wow, oh well." I mean, are you? You're not still together? I said, "Yes, we are," um, and then. We had to go back to filming the scene and I went back and to my dressing room and he was a regular on the show, I was just a guest. And I came back and I will say this, at the end of the day, and this was long before I had written the show, this was early on and it was, I felt pretty brave, you know, to have done this and I, I didn't start crying or anything. And, um, and at the end of the shoot, he said, you know, you seem like a really um, smart, kind, good person, and you seem like a good mom, because we had been talking, his kids were on the set, and I had was nice to them and talked about my kids, and he said, so I want you to know that I'm, I'm gonna rethink the way I think, because I met you. And, um, and I, I held it together, and then I got in the car to drive back, and I wept all the way home, because it felt really heavy that that was and, um, and I felt really good, and I felt really bad. And I got home, and I was really angry at my husband, and I held my kids tight. And like, that is, that story, and then I wasn't angry at my husband. <laughs> but that's kind of the... That's the a beautiful thing, that it's just a small example of um, someone learning. Like, that, yeah. that person, it sounds like that person was able to maybe increase their curiosity a little bit more, which allowed them to maybe increase their empathy? I hope so. And I think that's what, you know, being a person, not just 
I, I spoke to someone the other day who said, yes, um, we're going to talk about pornography um, at this symposium, and we have this doctor and that doctor and this doctor. And I said, I'd like to come. I'm not a doctor, but I'm a, I'm a person. And I think that as we put humanity to um, situations, it, it can help people. It can, And that's, of course, what good theater, television, film can do. And I know I told my story, but even fictionalizing stories where, you know, we look at it in the world today where, oh, all the bad guys used to look a certain way. Um, that's not great for racism. That's not great for anything. You know, we, we have to show people as people. And, um, and, and I, I think that I was surprised and delighted by how many people in my artistic community embraced me and my family and said, we understand nuance, we understand process, we understand humanity. But I was really surprised by how many people in my suburban mom and dad, coaches, teachers community have been incredibly kind and accepting and saying, we also understand, <laughs> you, know, you don't, you don't have to go to the fringes of society. We, um, we have darkness too, and we have, we, we see, the people who, who see us, see that we're trying and we're working and trying to, um, to heal and hopefully to heal some, some others as well. Yeah. I think that, um, I love hearing you explain your experience and some of these details that aren't included in the book or in the, the play. Um, <laughs> My director kept it when I had to cut a lot of things to make it, you know, 90 minutes, yeah. um, which is basically what people can sit through. Um, even I think it's even a little shorter, but when, when we would cut things, she'd go, save it for the book. There is no book yet, <laughs> but I'll, I'll save it for the, for the podcast. Yep. Well, um, we would love for there to be a book someday. And also talking about that 90 minutes, when I started it, I didn't know that it was only 90 minutes. And then I got to the end of the 90 minutes and I was like, wow, like it was just so good and, and so helpful and so powerful. I'm so, um, glad. so I was going to originally, yeah. sorry, go, <laughs> no, ahead. go ahead. Well, I was going to say one of the coolest things for me was when couples came to the show and you could feel them. I think a lot of um, men were scared to come to the show yeah. with their partners. And you could feel during the show that it really is a love story in some ways. And so midway through the show, you'd feel people kind of like coming together Ooh, and I love forward that. together. So, but go ahead. What were you going to say? Yeah, I was going to say originally when I, when I sent you the list of questions, when I was trying to think what, what should we cover during this conversation, I had a lot of questions, specific questions that are covered in your play. But I think that we should probably just encourage people to go and... Um, use their audible credit to yeah to listen free. to it <laughs> if you have an audible credit i would love that and and please you know let me know what you think um even if you have difficult things to say i'm i'm um, i'm open to it and uh, i hope that it, it's just my story but i hope that it's helpful and um i hope that people can feel and and one thing 
that I've learned is that people relate to the story. I thought people would come because it was sensational and they want to know what the hell happens when this lady's husband gets arrested. Then what? Um, and I'm sure people did come because of that. But there were so many people who said, you know, my sister struggles with addiction or my child got hit by a car. Like the stories that have nothing to do with my story but entail um, loss and shock and- Mourning. Mourning, grief and, and life changing from, you know, one thing I, I still say on my not so good days is this isn't what it was supposed to look like. <laughs> um, and I think right now with um, the world being a little bit upside down, um, a lot of my friends who've been through um, betrayal or other kinds of things feel somewhat equipped for this time because they've already had their lives turned upside down. They've already had work taken away or love taken away or um, connection taken away and had to, to rebuild to um, come up with plan B, C, D. Right. So, yes, I hope, and I will say, I remember when I was doing press for the show, my producer would always say, tell them it's funny, um, because <laughs> it sounds so dark, and of course it is dark, and there's some real, like, dark night of the soul moments, but there also is humor in, in I think, going, uh, the, the biggest, it was interesting to see what I thought was funny versus what the audiences would just really laugh along when um, just talking about what people say and no one had any I don't think anyone who reached out to me had any intention this is pre you know people who reach out to me online sometimes have uh, the intention to hurt me but but these were friends and family reaching out um, but some things people say are so ridiculous and horrifying and I, those were some of the things I cut because the list was too long. I did have <laughs> a friend. I had a friend say to me very soon after, I mean, very soon after, how are you? You know, and that's always a difficult question. I am not good. Um, but, <laughs> and she said, you know, I won't say the name. Uh, my, my husband and I were devastated when we heard the news and we stayed up all night and we prayed together and we chanted together, and it was actually one of the best nights of our marriage, and I have never felt closer to my partner. And I was like, well, you're welcome. <laughs> that, was, that was not helpful. Yeah. <laughs> and it was certainly not what I was feeling about my partner. There was right. no praying or chanting or close. <laughs> the we chant, in... The chanting might have sounded a little different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, and I, I did think, well, I'm glad I was uh, able to bring you and and your perfect husband closer <laughs> together. God damn it. Um, but I love, by the way, this is a person who I love very much and who uh, nobody knows what to say. Nobody knows what to say. And I'm now oftentimes on the other side because everybody calls me or tells their friend to call me or tells their sister-in-law's therapist to call me. And there's no right thing to say except I am a person who can feel sorry with you and not just feel sorry for you. I get it, I've been there, and now I can be the person who goes, I am telling you that your kids will be okay, that you will be okay, 
that believe it or not, you might be even way better than okay and stronger than you ever knew that you were. So I, I just, you know, I'm, I'm happy to talk to you. I'm happy that you're doing what you're doing. Um, again, I think there are certain people who don't know the nuance of my story, who think that I'm, um, <laughs> I'm okay with certain things and I'm not, and my husband's not, and that is part of my, I don't even wanna say a mission because it sounds very lofty, but I feel like it's part of my purpose is to say it can really pornography can really blow up a person's life and um and it it's not only happening to other people it's happening to people just like you and just like me and good people good people with good hearts good fathers good husbands good men yeah um and and the collateral damage is real um, and the betrayal trauma that partners experience in various ways is real and when we talk to each other it can just be great and you know I go to um, like I said some meetings with partners some daughters and sons but also mostly partners and there's laughter in those rooms because there's just common experience and a, and a sister and brotherhood and that's healing too and most people have been on both sides most people have been abused and are experiencing betrayal most people who in my i'm not a doctor i'm not a researcher but in the many 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 people that i've been in contact with most people who have any kind of sex addiction, compulsion, porn addiction, compulsion, have had their own trauma, as you said, their own abuse. And um, that's another thing that is kept really secret. And so if we criminalize um, people, then that healing can't take place and more addiction will happen. And um, so that's why, even though it's uncomfortable and scary, I do keep talking about this stuff um, because I do think that that's the way to heal. I thought back to your play, your live play, and people coming up to you after you said that the second part of the show is having conversations in the lobby or whatnot, and you said that several people will come up after each show, and I would imagine that for every person that comes up, there's probably 10 people that didn't weren't ready to come up and talk about it, but kind of wanted to. Do you get that feeling? I, I do because I also had that experience where people wrote me uh, letters, like old-fashioned handwritten letters and emails and things and said I couldn't. Um, I left the theater. I couldn't even, um, not during the show, but, you know, I couldn't. I had to catch my breath. I had to compose myself. Um, I, I did have one woman who I saw on the street after who had an experience like that where she didn't stay in the lobby, but I went out to get something to eat and was walking back and she said, I just saw your show. And I said, oh, um, I hope you liked it, you know? And she said, I just went back and bought tickets for tonight. And I thought, wow, that's a lot. It's a lot for me to do it twice. I can't imagine you want to see it twice. And she said, told me her story and she had discovered some stuff on her, um, 
her husband died and she discovered just a whole um, collection of a certain kind of pornography and um, she was just she never told anyone and she didn't have her husband around to work through it with her and and she never told anybody and she just read about the show and she came and yeah so that was it was very moving to me and um, and there were people who didn't tell me their story who just hugged me after and cried and I kind of felt that too and like I said there were people who I know very well who came to see the show who then told me things that I never knew about themselves about their fathers about something and um, and it helped and I didn't get any negative feedback from people who actually saw or heard the show I only got it from people who didn't who just read about it um, so that felt good too and I um, I'm sure there are people but they for the most part it was um, it was a lot of love and uh, understanding and um, and there was a nice feeling among the audience like <laughs> some people who saw it by themselves said they would just clutch the person next to them at certain times and and so that feels good that felt good and um and i hope that's i hope i can keep doing that and i hope other people feel encouraged that i did get that response because when i would get really um nasty things written on twitter or whatever um I was, of course, I'd be lying to say it didn't upset me, but I was also upset thinking my kids would read it, but I was also upset thinking about the women and men thinking about coming forward with their story and going, oh, no, that's exactly what I was afraid of. And so I think it's important for me to share how much love and support I have received from all kinds of communities, religious, um, addiction, just normal people, <laughs> whatever that is. Um, but really, I, I've been really surprised. I knew that other partners, I hoped and knew that other partners needed to hear this, and that was why I wanted to do it. But I was surprised at how many people understand that this is a real issue. Um, okay. Yeah. I talked your ear off. No, I I love it. I want to encourage our listeners to if I hope it's okay that I say this to get your play on Audible and then also yeah. to leave a review. Is this, sure. Um, because I think it's important to to share those positive thoughts with you. And yeah. um, so the last. I also hope <laughs> I'll just say this. I, I I did have couples come, and I think a lot of couples may listen to your podcast and. One of the things that was helpful for me, um, and I hope is help. It, it, I think that when this happens to people, it's so we want our partners to get it and understand our pain. And so the couples I know that have listened together or shared this, um, it's not punishing but it is somehow like oh i see yeah i see i see i see that because i know men in recovery are doing their and and some women but mostly i know men are doing their own really hard work and it is hard work but this 
story, my story can kind of remind people that there's somebody also struggling, sometimes very quietly, sometimes yep. very loudly, but <laughs> just, um, just recognizing that, um, that I see your pain, I see what I did, and I'm here, and I'm taking accountability, and that was, um, I say it in the play, but that was the beginning of my marriage being able to heal was really at that moment where my husband kind of stepped out of his own pain and shame and said, I know that I, I know that I hurt you in a way that is hard to describe. And I do describe it in the show. So I do encourage um, couples to listen together because, and then at the end of the day, it's, um, it is a love story and the love being partly a love story about a family I love that and yeah I think that's one of the things your book did for me because there were times during your play that I laughed there were times where I was like really shocked like oh my goodness and I think that was that was it I think you hit it on the head when you said that basically it allows me to understand the scope of your experience and so yeah I just want to encourage our listeners to, to check it out um, accidentally brave. We will link it to this episode so that you can find it easily <clears throat> and consume it. I listened to it three times, so you know that it's good. <laughs> I wouldn't have wanted to listen to it again if it wasn't. Um, but I do want to leave you with the opportunity to to have the last word during this conversation. Is there anything you'd, else you'd like to share with us before? Oh my ending? gosh! Um, just I would. I guess try to speak to the people out there that are struggling, that are feeling shame and pain and just say, I see you, I feel you, go where it's warm, take it day by day and know that you're absolutely not alone. Where did you find warmth? I guess I had one last question oh, based on your last comments. It's a good question. I mean, I love that expression, go where it's warm. Um, and I think that I, I was confusing warmth with familiarity and familiarity with warmth. Like what seemed like warm was just familiar, but nothing worked that usually worked for me. Um, so for me, warmth is people who listen without judgment. For me, warmth is my kids. For me, warmth is getting really quiet and checking in with my version of a higher power. Um, that feels warm. What's not warm is checking what every person I've ever met on Facebook thinks about something. Um, it's not warm to beat myself up. It's not, it wasn't warm for me to be around certain friends and family early on. Um, I needed, I needed a, and, and certain friends and family were great and others who I love very much, it just didn't, it felt too, um, too judgmental. And I needed, I needed softness early on. Um, and, and so, yeah, I guess for me, warmth is just shared vulnerability and and it was really important to me to create a community 
it didn't have to be big. It's grown to be pretty big um, of people who, who are loving and interested in growth. Before this conversation, I knew that you were a strong and smart woman, but um, leaving the conversation, I'm even more inspired. So thank you for joining us today, and thanks for showing up day in and day out. Um, Thank you for doing what you're doing, and um, I really appreciate you having me on. Um, It's been a, a real pleasure. Talking about porn can be tricky. That's why we created an interactive conversation guide called Let's Talk About Porn. Simply select who you'd like to talk to, your partner, child, friends, parents, or even a stranger, and select the type of conversation you'd like to have. We'll walk you through a healthy way to approach this taboo topic in a productive conversation. Let's Talk About Porn is available for free, both in English and Spanish, so you can be prepared to talk when someone asks why you're listening to a podcast about the harms of porn. Access the guide and start talking at ftnd.org forward slash blueprint. That's ftnd.org forward slash blueprint. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Consider Before Consuming. Consider Before Consuming is brought to you by Fight the New Drug. Fight the New Drug is a non-religious and non-legislative organization that exists to provide individuals the opportunity to make an informed decision regarding pornography by raising awareness on its harmful effects using only science, facts, and personal accounts. If you'd like to learn more about today's guest and the conversation we had, you can check out the links attached to this episode. Again, big thanks to you for listening to this conversation. As you go about your day, we invite you to increase your self-awareness, look both ways, check your blind spots, and consider before consuming.